Good evening. The CDC says no more masks indoors and out. If you've got your shots against COVID, that is. Israel and Palestine move closer to all-out war. And a GOP congressman says there was nothing to see on January 6th. As a lawsuit says, off-Broadway theaters are being treated unfairly by the city of New York. With these and other stories, I'm Paul DiRienzo with the WBAI News for Thursday, May 13th, 2021. And the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention advised today that fully vaccinated people don't need to wear masks outdoors and can avoid wearing them indoors in most places. CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky says a sharp reduction in cases, expansion of vaccines to younger people, and vaccine efficacy against coronavirus variants warranted the new guidance. Anyone who is fully vaccinated can participate in indoor and outdoor activities large or small, without wearing a mask or physical distancing. If you are fully vaccinated, you can start doing the things that you had stopped doing because of the pandemic. We have all longed for this moment when we can get back to some sense of normalcy. If you are immune compromised, you will most definitely want to talk to your doctor before giving up your mask. If things get worse, there is always a chance we may need to make change to these recommendations. But we know that the more people are vaccinated, the less cases we will have and the less chance of a new spike or additional variants emerging. The CDC also said fully vaccinated people won't won't need to physically distance in most places. The revised guidance is a major step toward returning to pre-pandemic life, but the agency still recommends vaccinated people wear masks on planes and trains and at airports, transit hubs, mass transit, and in places like hospitals and doctors' offices. Walensky said the CDC plans to soon issue updated guidance for transit. Masks became a political issue with some states issuing aggressive mask mandates while others declined or dropped them months ago. Former President Donald Trump resisted mandating masks while President Joe Biden embraced masks and mandated them for transit hubs. Biden mentioned the new guidance today at the White House, prompting several reporters to immediately strip off their masks. And speaking earlier today, before the new mask mandate was announced, Mayor Bill de Blasio hailed the city's success in vaccinating New Yorkers and hailing the CDC's expansion of vaccinations to teens. Every day, tens of thousands of people coming in to get vaccinated. The latest number as of today from the beginning of our vaccination efforts, 7,277,505 vaccinations have been given climbing every day and now that number will definitely increase because hundreds of thousands of more new yorkers are eligible we've gotten the formal authorization now that all providers who have the pfizer vaccine can provide it to 12 to 15 year olds a lot of families are going to want to take advantage of this opportunity to protect their kids and protect their whole families mayor de blasio We'll have more on New York's struggle to reopen after months of COVID-19 lockdown later in this newscast. In international news, President Biden called today for a de-escalation of the violence between Israel and Palestinian fighters in Gaza. Meanwhile, the United States, a close ally of Israel, objected to a request by China, Norway and Tunisia for a public virtual meeting of the United Nations Security Council on Friday to discuss the violence. Pacifica Radio's Eileen Alfandari 
has more. The death toll in Gaza has surged to 84, including 17 children as Israel continues its fierce bombardment. Israel killed as many as 10 senior Hamas military figures yesterday and toppled a pair of high-rise towers housing Hamas media and other facilities. Hamas showed no signs of backing down. It fired hundreds of rockets at Israeli cities. The barrage has killed at least six Israelis, including a child and an Indian national. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said he had rejected a Hamas proposal for a truce. Israel's military is reportedly drafting plans for a ground offensive. The U.S., Russia, Egypt and other nations are trying to halt the conflict. Rami Almagari reports from Gaza. Mediation efforts are underway, mainly by the United States and Egypt. A high-ranking American official is to visit the region soon for possible restoration of calm. An Egyptian delegation is already in the region. Amidst this situation, Gaza-based veteran political analyst Talala Okel says that the ball is in the court of Israel. Israel should understand that it is facing a whole Palestinian nation, whether in West Bank, Jerusalem, and Israel itself, Gaza, Iran, as Israel is denying Palestinian rights, still going ahead with some racist and transfer plans for Palestinians. Israel is definitely in confrontation with that nation. Thursday morning, the Gaza Strip's 2.2 million residents will observe the Eid al-Fitr as the holy month of Ramadan comes to an end. But with more violence on the ground, Palestinians might not be able to mark the Eid. I am Rami al-Mighari. In Gaza. The conflict has spread to Israeli cities. Jewish and Palestinian citizens of Israel have turned on each other. Israel's public security minister defended and called for the release of a Jewish man who was arrested for fatally shooting a Palestinian in the city of Lod. The shooting followed the torching of a synagogue and other fires set by Palestinians. In a separate incident, a Jewish mob dragged a man they thought was Palestinian from a car in a Tel Aviv suburb and beat him unconscious. He's hospitalized in serious condition. Jewish mobs in several cities attacked Palestinian-owned businesses and shouted death to Arabs. In the occupied West Bank, Jewish settlers attacked a village near Hebron and wounded at least eight Palestinians. Four of them needed hospitalization. Pacifica Radio's Eileen Alfandari. As the violence has escalated, the news from the region is becoming fraught with the possibility of all-out war and an invasion by the Israeli military. Israeli combat troops and tanks have been massing along the Gaza border today and were preparing for ground operations, according to an Israeli Defense Forces spokesperson. There were also reports attributing deaths to the use of poison gas, according to NBC News. Professor Francis Boyle teaches at the University of Illinois College of Law. He's author of Palestine, Palestinians, and international law. He says the longer the fighting goes on, the more the chances of an invasion. This has given a green light to uh, Netanyahu by President Biden himself to continue with his offensive against the Palestinians and perhaps um, escalate it by invading Gaza. There are at least five different brigades and an armored brigade called up to the border of Gaza. This could get a lot worse, Paul. What laws are being broken? Well, Paul, that was decided by the International Court of Justice in the advisory opinion on Israel's wall. They ruled that basically 
Israel is a belligerent occupant of Palestinian territory, and it does not really have any right of self-defense. That's already been decided. Israel is governed by the international laws of belligerent occupation that only permit them to use police force, and clearly that's not what they're doing. And a violation of the uh, international laws of occupation set forth in the Hague Regulations of 1907 and the Fourth Geneva Convention of 1949 is a war crime. And when the war crimes become widespread or systematic, they become crimes against humanity. It seems to me that's what we're looking at here now. The incident that sort of was one of the things that sparked this was the attempt by the Israelis to evict families from a neighborhood in East Jerusalem. What really set this off, the current conflict, was the decision by Netanyahu to storm the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque right at the holiest part of Ramadan. And now Netanyahu has had his troops storm the Al-Aqsa Mosque uh, three times in the last week. These are obviously deliberate provocations. Netanyahu knows full well that Ariel Sharon provoked the Al-Aqsa Intifada in September of 2000 by storing the uh, Al-Aqsa Mosque. Paul, what we are seeing here is Netanyahu wagging the dog. He right now is under criminal prosecution there for corruption in the uh, Israeli courts. He just lost the mandate from the president of Israel to establish a coalition government. The president of Israel gave that to his opponent. And Netanyahu realizes that the only way he can stave off criminal conviction is to continue in power as prime minister, even in a uh, caretaker government. That's pretty much what we're seeing now today in operation with Netanyahu, but especially storming the Al-Aqsa Mosque at the holiest point of Ramadan, and now it's Eid al-Fader, is clearly deliberately provocative action. Right now, since President Biden has given Netanyahu a green light, effectively, this could escalate quite seriously, Paul, and we could have another invasion of Gaza like the last time. I think that killed well over 2,000 Palestinians. I wish I had a better, more optimistic analysis to give you, Paul. But right now, from all my sources, that's the way I'm seeing it today. All right, I'll leave it at that. Thanks a lot. Paul, thanks a lot for calling and letting me have my say. And WBAI always does a great job. I'm happy to give you interviews. Professor Francis Boyle teaches at the University of Illinois College of Law. And President Biden spoke to the nation today about the cyber attack on the Colonial Pipeline that's been causing gas shortages across the southeastern United States. He says it's not Russia that's to blame, but Russians. And as for the people who carried out this attack, we do not believe, I emphasize, we do not believe the Russian government was involved in this attack. But we do have strong reason to believe that the criminals who did the attack, 
are living in Russia. That's where it came from. We're from Russia. We have been in direct communications with Moscow about the imperative for responsible countries to take decisive action against these ransomware networks. We're also going to pursue a measure to disrupt their ability to operate. And our Justice Department has launched a new task force dedicated to prosecuting ransomware hackers to the full extent of the law. And finally, let me say that this event is providing an urgent reminder of why we need to harden our infrastructure and make it more resilient against all threats, natural and man-made. President Biden, nearly 70 percent of North Carolina's gas stations are still without fuel amid panic buying. More than half the stations in Virginia were tapped out, as were about half the stations in South Carolina and Georgia. GasBuddy.com made those reports. Washington, D.C. was listed as among the hardest hit locations with 73 percent of stations out. That's according to the site's tracking service. And day four in the USA versus Donziger trial in federal court in Manhattan was today. Environmental lawyer Stephen Donziger is facing criminal contempt charges relating to his $9.5 billion pollution case against Chevron Corporation over oil spills in the Amazon rainforest, mostly in Ecuador. Rebecca Miles has more. On day four, the court heard from William Thompson, partner at Gibson, Dunn & Crutcher, the corporate law firm and litigation behemoth, with its client Chevron, who's spent millions of dollars in the last decade attacking and demonizing Stephen Donziger. Donziger claims they've used a litany of dirty tricks, threats and intimidation, paid fact witnesses, corporate espionage and paid for journalists. Here is one of the day's exchanges. Kubi, can I begin cross-examination? Judge Preska, I thought you were hungry. Kubi, I am hungry for justice. Clapping was heard from the socially distanced gallery. Judge Preska, come on, children, let's get going. Kubi, this will not be brutal. Kubi, do you agree there's no political question the U.S. does not turn into a judicial question? Thompson, I do. Kubi, Mr. Thompson, you're a partner at Gibson and Dunn. Thompson, yes. Kubi, so you prosper when the firm prospers. Thompson, the firm has done very well. Kubi, is Chevron your largest client? Thompson, not the largest. Kubi, why did you put in all those hours for the trial? Thompson, I want to be accurate and efficient. Kubi, your efficiency is directed at giving this guy a criminal conviction, right? Private Prosecutor Glavin, objection. Judge Preska, sustained. Kubi, who flew you here? Thompson, Chevron. Kubi, coach. Thompson, first class. To be free of COVID as I could be. Kubi, are you vaccinated? Thompson, yes. Kubi, still flying first class. Thompson, yes. Lawyers will be back in court on Friday with defence presenting its testimony starting on Monday. Rebecca Miles, WBAI, New York. Stephen Donziger is the environmental lawyer who won a $9.5 billion pollution case against Chevron Corporation for the indigenous peoples of Ecuador. If convicted of contempt charges, Donziger could face 180 days in jail. He's already spent over 600 days in home arrest.
And Colombia's foreign minister, Claudia Blum, has resigned, according to a letter from her shared by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs today. Blum's resignation follows that of former finance minister Alberto Carasquilla, who resigned earlier this month after widespread protests against a now-canceled tax reform. Demonstrations began on April 28th in the Andean country, fueled by outrage at the reform, which included a plan to raise sales taxes. According to two human rights organizations tracking reports of police violence from then to May 8th, the violent attacks, the violent actions of the state security forces resulted in the deaths of at least 47 people. The arbitrary detention of 963 people, 28 victims of eye-related injuries from rubber bullets and other non-lethal means of uh, crowd control that are often fired at the head and above the chest at people, and 12 victims of sexual violence. In total, they registered 1,876 cases of police violence. And you're listening to the news on WBAI New York. I'm Paul DiRienzo. In national news, GOP Representative Andrew Clyde of Georgia said calling the January 6th insurrection and, uh, insurrection and insurrection is a bald-faced lie and likened the rioters to tourists. He said that during a House Oversight Committee hearing on the riots yesterday, members of the committee heard testimony about the riots from former Acting Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen, former Acting Defense Secretary Christopher Miller, and Chief Robert J. Conti of the Metropolitan Police Department. Clyde then quoted from two dictionaries, including the Cambridge English Dictionary, which defines an insurrection as an organized attempt by a group of people to defeat their government and take control of their country, usually by violence. Both the Capitol itself and the Senate floor were breached by the rioters, a fact denied by Clyde. Watching the TV footage of those who entered the Capitol, and walked through Statuary Hall, showed people in an orderly fashion staying between the stanchions and ropes, taking videos and pictures. You know, if you didn't know the TV footage was a video from January the 6th, you would actually think it was a normal tourist visit. And that is uh, Andrew Clyde. Today, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Clyde's statements were beyond the pale. It was beyond denial. It fell into the range of sick. And uh, that's what we have to deal with when we are saying it's urgent for us to secure the Capitol. Why? It was just a normal tourist day. The denial about what happened that day, uh, the denial for the need for more security to make sure it doesn't happen again, and the denial of reach finding the truth is what we have to deal with. And we will find the truth. And we're hoping that we can do so in the most bipartisan way possible. And uh, that was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Back to New York City, Mayor de Blasio uh, took vaccination, vaccination incentivization to the next level during his morning news briefing today, munching on a hamburger and fries and regaling the city's press corps about how he might fulfill his mayoral bucket list in his final year at City Hall. De Blasio has been upbeat in recent weeks, a mood shift attributable in part to his nemesis, Governor Cuomo's ongoing struggles with scandal. The city's improving pandemic outlook and what appears to be a slight bout of senior-itis. On Thursday, de Blasio touted the city's incentives to get more New Yorkers vaccinated. One of those goodies is a Shake Shack gift card with the promise of free fries for anyone who got a shot over the last few days. He espoused the benefits of getting vaccinated, channeling his inner Homer Simpson on Thursday while sitting at the dais with French fries, a burger, and a large soft drink positioned before him. He also said that live music is coming back to New York City. He said Vax-initiated free passes will allow people to go to big upcoming music festivals 
Uh, he predicted it will be the summer of New York City and the summer of joy. He specifically talked about the Global Citizen Live Fest and Governor's Ball, each plan to raffle off free tickets to people who've been vaccinated, according to the mayor. If you get vaccinated, you have an opportunity to win free tickets to these amazing music festivals. These are you know, literally people wait all year for the opportunity to enjoy these festivals. And here's your chance. So get vaccinated, get a ticket, get out there and enjoy something amazing. And that was the mayor today. But uh, a lot of uh, folks are saying that the uh, enforcement of the lockdown and the various city and state regulations has been done quite unfairly. And they're uh, bringing a lawsuit against the city uh, from million dollar productions on the Great White Way to shoestring experimental off-Broadway shows, live theater and performance is the lifeblood of New York. That says Daniel Ortner, an attorney with the Pacific Legal Foundation that's representing off-Broadway, which are small theaters in New York City. Um, he says that those theaters are being treated differently than restaurants and bars and other places with live music, bowling alleys, jazz, supper clubs, nightclubs, even Saturday Night Live can film with a live audience, he says. But Off-Broadway must stick to very uh, strong rules about how far away and how many rows must uh, exist between people who come to see the theater. Uh, he says that's in part because the um, large-scale theaters, the Broadway theaters that are opening in September, need a large, a long time to prepare for their presentations, for their productions, while uh, off-Broadway is, is usually just ready to go and are waiting just for the get-go. They don't want to wait till September. Daniel Ortner, the attorney, spoke with WBAI earlier today. Right now, for months on end, they were closed until just April. They were barely allowed to reopen at a very low capacity. This whole time, they've been treated worse than comparable businesses. Today, in the same theater, you could have a church meet with a 50% capacity. And two hours later, when the theater has a matinee performance on Sunday, capacity is only 33%. Even now, the governor has said that in the next couple of weeks, they're going to be lifting these restrictions. Uh, these unequal health and safety restrictions are likely going to stay in effect. It's harder for theaters to seat people than for other comparable businesses. And so this unequal treatment has really led the theaters to want to fight back, to say, look, our business is just as important. It is a First Amendment protected form of expression. And the First Amendment guarantees our right to express ourselves. And we need to deserve equal treatment at the very least. Wasn't there a ruling today from the CDC that fully vaccinated people no longer have to wear masks indoors or outdoors? Hopefully, New York will adopt that quickly, and that, that'll uh, significantly help. The current guidance still has six feet apart. It still has every other row, 12 feet apart from performers. A lot of restrictions that aren't in effect for churches or for uh, bars and restaurants when they have live music and bands. So uh, hopefully that'll go away. At the moment, there's no indication that it is going to. And anyways, the principles is important because if these restrictions come back, pretty sure that theaters will be the first to be restricted once again, as they were before. So the theaters want to keep fighting for the principle that they should be treated equally and that their personal rights should be protected. Are off-Broadway theaters treated differently than Broadway theaters? And what's the difference? Broadway theaters are large, subject to the same rules, but Broadway just can't open quickly. So the rules are kind of designed with Broadway in mind, other businesses in mind. And these small theaters have kind of been left behind or ignored for most of the pandemic. For months on end, there was just nothing said about them. No indication when they could open. When other businesses who were in the same reopening phase under Governor Cuomo's four 
phase reopening were allowed to open, theaters were just, just ignored, these small theaters. They're only thinking about Broadway, really, with these large theaters that take time to reopen. But these theaters are ready to go. They're already now having performances in some of them, but they just need the ability to open. They're eager to, to serve people and to offer their shows. And Daniel Ortner is an attorney with Pacifica Pacific uh, Legal Foundation. The Democratic mayoral primary, and finally... The Democratic mayoral primary has been in full swing for months, with candidates participating in dozens of virtual debates and forums hosted by political clubs, community organizations, advocacy groups right here on WBAI. But tonight is different. Tonight at 7 p.m. is going to be the first officially sanctioned debate, and it comes as many New Yorkers turn their attention to the race for the first time. It presents the largest virtual stage yet for candidates to make their case to voters and to set themselves apart in a historically large group of viable contenders. And that's some of the news for Thursday, May 13th, 2021. The news is produced by Linda Perry. Our engineer is Reggie Johnson. From New York City, I'm Paul DiRienzo. Thanks for listening.